0: Two years ago at Artisan, we partnered with um, an organization called the Ugandan Water Project, founded by my friend uh, and former college roommate, James Harrington. Um, and James and, and his organization build rainwater collection tanks in Uganda. And the cost of those at the time was about $3,000. And so we set a goal to, to, to build one rainwater collection tank. And during the month of Advent, we, we gave on top of our, our tithes and offerings... And by the end of the month, we had collected over $6,000, and so we built two. (laughs) Um, It was probably my proudest moment as artist and pastor ever um, that you all stepped up and did that. And so uh, we're very happy to invite James back here today uh, to tell us a little bit about how the organization, the project, has gone since we talked last time. And uh, so join me in welcoming my old friend, James (laughs) Harrington.
1: wow well that's that's great uh, it's great to be with you guys there's a lot of people that i don 't recognize, and that is wonderful so uh, let's see yeah, two years ago we were still doing two services, one at night, so it was like this long lunch that we had to have in the middle <laughs> to kill time, basically, but no, that was good um, yeah, it was you know just seeing that it was great you know I brought you guys a Christmas present uh, I put together just to, I just grabbed the photos uh, that we took at the sites that uh, this church uh, was part of uh, funding, and uh, I just want to tell you a little bit real quick about these sites and about the Ugandan Water Project. We, As Scott said, we work with sponsors here in the U.S. and, uh, you know, to raise awareness and, and transfer story and, and transfer ownership and responsibility for some of the needs in the world, specifically in communities in Uganda for drinking water, and we fund these rainwater collection systems. And... Since we we installed our first tanks August of 2008, and uh, we traveled over there, hey, good to see you. And uh, sorry, (laughs) I love people. Um, And since then, we've been able to do. uh, We just had our 40th project funded, and we're working in about 30 different communities all across Uganda. And it's really exciting, you know, to see, you know, what we've been able to do and who we've been able to do it with. Because uh, while you know a good number of our tanks and have been funded by churches and youth groups and things like that. Uh, Several of them have also been funded by public schools and uh, college campus groups and uh, businesses and individual families. And so it's not just a secular, it's not just a sacred conversation. It's a secular conversation as well, but it's absolutely a spiritual conversation. And so we've been able to see how what we do is relevant to everyone and while there's many people that we couldn't get to come through the, the doors this morning kicking and screaming, uh, they're absolutely ready and willing and eager to engage in this conversation. And compassion is, is absolutely, uh, you know, part of the cross, and, and it's the message of Christ. And, and so it's been really exciting to be able to share that. Um, and I just want to share a little bit about these two places that you guys were part of. And that's my gift to you this morning, is to recognize that this is not just something you did two years ago. This is something you did today. These things exist and save lives today. You know, the, uh, let's see, where, well, that's Kasuba. Yeah, so this is Kasuba. Um, Kasuba is between uh, Kampala and Jinja. The two, uh, Kampala's the capital. I've got a map and you won't be able to see it, but it's a visual aid nonetheless. This is my little trusty map. And so here, here you got Uganda and this little dot right here, if you can see that little dot. That's Kasuba. So it's halfway between the capital and Jinja. And uh, it is really out in the sticks. Uh, You know, basically, you're driving through sugarcane fields and uh, tea fields and bush. And you head up this little track that goes right up this little mountain. And you're driving along, bouncing along. And it's half road, half, like, uh, runoff creek. (laughs) Seriously, like, um, you're not sure whether you're driving up a, a church up a uh, riverbed to this church or whether you're driving up a, a, a road and you, you basically drive until the vehicle won't go any further <laughs> because it's just that steep. And, uh, and then you get out and you hoof it for a while. And you get up to the top and, uh, and you look out over this valley and it's just amazing because first of all, you don't see any power lines. You don't see any airplanes in the sky. You see maybe one or two dirt roads, but there's no, there's no traffic noise. I mean, there's, it's so raw it's amazing. And sitting, you know, planted up on this hillside is this little church and this school. they got about 220 students. And, you know, what they had to do for water before you guys made a decision was they had to walk all the way down that hill. And I mean, we're talking, it is ridiculously steep. And it's it's about a mile down to the bottom of the hill where they have drainage ditches and stuff that they would get their water out of. And then they'd have to haul it back up. And, I mean, I was huffing just walking. You know, all I was carrying was my camera bag. I didn't have to carry 100 pounds of water. <laughs> and that's, that's the typical load. Two jerry cans is 100 pounds. And so what you made as a decision in your life here in the frozen north, 8,000 miles away, makes a daily difference in the lives of, of young children there and women and, it, and families and and uh, it was amazing and and uh, Pastor Jonathan was so excited that uh, on our way down he he rode down and he lives about halfway down the hill and at one point he uh he, he's riding down the van, he tells us to stop, and he runs into his house and he brings out a chicken and he a rooster this really colorful rooster, and he gives us this rooster i mean this is this this is a big deal you know when people are giving you live things, <laughs> you know i mean I mean think about it how who, who we got pet owners. Who really loves uh, pet dog or cat here? Someone that's like really nutso. Yeah, you with the hat back there. You know, what's your pet's name? Okay, so like, picture I like show up at your house to fix your plumbing or something, and you're so grateful, you like, honey, give me that box. You know, you get the box out, and you like put your chinchillas in it, and you go, thank you. You know, and I'm like, wow, you just gave me chinchillas. <laughs> that's, you know, no, it was a big deal, you know, because typically, like, maybe once a month, they might eat meat in this part of, the, of Uganda. I mean, this is a really rural part. And so this was a big honor, and, and I received that not as me. I received that as you. You know, that was, that was the gift of gratitude. I was just the messenger. I was just the conduit. But it was your decision. It was your resources. It was you that did this, and I want you to really understand it. So that was Kasuba. The other place was Katongole. Now Katongole is in Mubendi district, and that's like way in the opposite direction. And uh Yeah, so getting out my trusty visual aid. All right. This is only the size of Oregon, by the way. So here's here's Kampala. We drive way out here to Pastor Nathan's place in Katongole, in Mubendi district. I got really bad food poisoning out there one time. Fond memories. Okay? Um, and uh Yeah, this is Kasubas. You're uh, you're way up high on what you're seeing there is tea fields, and then the bushy stuff down here is is, uh, sugar cane. And Pastor Jonathan is this not-smiling guy on the left. (laughs) And the guy next to him that I was afraid of a little bit, he's like one of the elders, you know? He he made me nervous. I don't know what what it was about him. He's a little parochial. But, uh, but yeah, so we go out to Katongole, and we we meet this, and this was really remote, and uh, we meet this guy who's dressed in a three-piece suit, looks really, really serious, and his name is Pastor Nathan. And he was telling us how, uh, you know, we're the first white people to ever come to his church. And uh, he was just so grateful, and just the, the gratitude that filled his heart was just amazing. Um, he, he just, you know, there's actually a video clip. Oh, yeah, see, there's a rooster. I'm, yeah, <laughs> what do you do with that? Like, you know, yeah, Pastor George is our main contact. He's the guy with the bug eyes on the left. He, he spends a lot of time on Facebook. He loves... And so he's he's trying to develop a, a feel for what we do in pictures. So he's, like, seeing how we goof off in our, so many of our pictures, right? And so now he started doing weird things when we take pictures. And I'm like, Pastor George, like, there's, you know, there's some pictures that you do that, and then there's some that we're taking back to go, look at the great thing you did. And you're in there going, you know. Yeah. But this is at, in Katongale, and and... Afterwards, this is great, we're we're getting ready to leave Katongale, and Pastor Nathan hops in the van, and again, this is normal because they walk everywhere, so if they see you're going their way, they'll pack 15, 16, 18, 20 people in your van, and uh, they'll just kind of hop out along the way. You're like a school bus all of a sudden. And um, yeah, the look on my face is because I can't believe what we just did. This was like the road we were driving on. (laughs) Like, he tells us to take a left, and we just pull off the road, and we just start driving up this dirt track. Like a, a footpath. And the guys on our team are go- looking at me like, what is this? You know, we're just in a, a van. We're not in a, you know, four-wheel drive, anything. I mean, this thing is really old and rickety and bottoming out, and we're just driving through bushes, right? And, and I'm looking at <laughs> it going, hey, I don't know what we're doing. <laughs> and, uh, and we get up to this thing. We start walking through the, the, this pasture land, and he starts telling how he came to that area with nothing, just the clothes on his back and a burden from the Lord to reach the people of Katongale. And he had nothing, and he uh, he fell in love, and uh, but he had no money for dowry, and miraculously, the father of of this woman he loved uh, came to him and said, "You know what? I see that you're a man of God, and I know you have nothing. Let's just say you're married." <laughs> and so, you know, God miraculously provided that, and uh, and he said, "You know, I've been faithful to the Lord ever since, and uh, and now I have all pasture land, and I've got cows and goats and chickens and all this stuff." And uh, he just wanted to say that he was just amazed because he what you decided to do participated in him having another tangible reminder of the favor of God in his life. You know, a guy that had nothing has people 8,000 miles away making decisions that affect what he can do in his community to be obedient to the call of God on his life. And he, he was realizing that, and his response was That. <laughs> He goes over this little knoll and he disappears for a minute and all of a sudden out comes this little herd of goats and he rattles off something in Lugandan to uh, Pastor George who starts laughing and he goes, James, pick out a goat. He has given you a goat. And I'm like, wow, okay. Chickens are one thing, they're pretty portable, (laughs) but we've got... Literally, it's like, it's like three or four hours' drive back to the city, okay? And we've got a full van. You know, we've got people, we've got guitars, we've got, you know, equipment, you know. Now we've got to figure out how to cram a goat. You know, and so I'm looking at this herd of goats, and I pick out the smallest one, right? I'm thinking, compact. This is good. And he goes, no, no, no. This one is not eating size. <laughs> and I, so I'm like, you know, and, and you know, I'm the guy in charge, so, like, there's a lot of pressure. This is a real protocol-oriented culture, like, honor, and, and everything's a ceremony. And so I'm like, I, how do I not lose face here? Because, like, this guy just gave me a goat. That's a big deal. Um, and I'm like, huh, okay. So I, I didn't pick out a big enough goat. I said, well, you know what? Can you tell Pastor Nathan that, uh, believe it or not, I don't keep goats on my land, so I'm a little inexperienced. <laughs> and if he could help me, that'd be great. <laughs> And, uh, and that seemed to make sense to him because he knows not, not everybody has goats, you know. He didn't, he really has no idea what life is like here. Um, and so he picks out this big black and white goat that's like eating size apparently. And, you know, we, you know, put a rope around his neck and pull it back to the van, you know, walk it back to the van. They tie his legs together and shove him under the seat, <laughs> the back seat of the van. And, uh, and we ride four hours back to the city that night with, <laughs> with goat, with the two guys that are sitting... Where's the area? Oh, she's not here. She's doing the kids. Um, her youth pastor was with me on that trip, and uh, Dave Peck. And Dave and a couple other guys. You know Dave, right? No? Maybe not. Okay. But there's a couple guys in the back of the van that, you know, between their feet is the goat looking up at them. <laughs> you know? And four hours, they, they ride back there. And uh, we ended up giving that to a church uh, to have a big celebration. And they, like, went nuts. But uh, that was you. Again, you know, you guys were present. In your decisions and what you decided to reprioritize. Repri- so, you know, if you're a vegetarian, I'm sorry, you were part of that. <laughs> but it was awesome to be an ambassador from artisan, from your community, from your families, because that's what it is. This, th- these decisions aren't made in this room. These decisions are made, you know, in your living rooms and in your kitchens, around your tables, where you're going. What are we going to do? Well, how are we going to take this, these, these ideas and make them priorities? How are we going to take our decisions and restructure them around our values? And so you guys did this. And I want to say thanks. And uh, there's some more video files and stuff. And maybe you guys can throw them on your website at some point and look at them. Uh, one of them is a pastor, Nathan, saying thank you to you guys. Um, there's another one of me hanging out the van window, driving up to his his land there. It's kind of crazy. but um, So that's for you guys. And I just want to say thanks because it was awesome. And, uh, and I had the privilege of being able to be there on point to you know, witness that and bring that story back to you, but be encouraged. When Scott says that was one of the proudest moments in his relationships here, there's a good reason. There's people that are alive today because you guys made those choices, so thank you. Um, I'm really excited because you guys are still in the game. Uh, you know, I, I've been I've been bugging Scott, and you can help me on this one. I've been bugging Scott that he needs to come over with me. I think, I think that's going to be a fun time together when that happens, and I'm not going to let that go, so at some point, you, you know, you guys are going to help that make that happen. But I'm really excited because in February, you guys are going to put boots on the ground. And Liz Irvine, who has been really excited about this for a very long time, um, it, she and Sammy Palermo over at Finney, mobilized their students to make an impact. And so she's going to be able to come with us. And I'm really excited. I want to give her a chance to share here in a second. Where are you? There you are. Um, but as she's coming up, um, I just want to say thank you for supporting her and sending her. Because I'm really excited to have her and her passion and, and just the history, because you guys have been in this for a while. And we're going we're gonna to go, you know, go to these places, and she's going to be able to see these people and meet them and really you know, make this a, a personal relationship. And I'm excited to have her. It's, you know, there's a lot that this community invests in one another, and that's a high value here, and that, that's really important. And so what you've invested in the relationship with Liz, I get to benefit from. So I'm really grateful that this is a strong community that has values like community, social justice, those kinds of things, because now I get to cash that check. (laughs) You guys have written it into your lives, and now through Liz's involvement, we get to do that. So I I just want to give her a chance to share a little bit of, you know, her own perspective and passion, and and I just want to encourage you that, you know, hey, she's still in the process of trying to raise her money, so, you know, this is me saying, hey, give her some money. She needs it, because... (laughs) There's more of this stuff that's part of what you're doing that she gets to be part of, but it's you guys that are all doing it. So write some big checks, all right? Go ahead. Share something.
2: So when I – my mom likes to tell this story. When I was in middle school, we went to the doctor's office for a regular checkup. And the doctor said to me, this doctor, he looked like Mr. Rogers. His name is Dr. Darling. He looked like Mr. Rogers, right? And uh, he said, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I don't remember saying this, but my mom likes to tell people that she remembers that I said, I want to be a missionary when I grow up. And, and I went to a Christian school, and I remember hearing about missionaries living in these huts in Africa and in the Philippines. And I thought, yeah, right. There's no way. I don't want to do that. That is not my goal in life. And God worked in my heart. And over the years that I was in high school, I had a number of opportunities to travel with missions organizations and go on trips and do things. And that continued to build the fire inside of me saying, yes, this is something that I want to do. And I don't know what it's going to look like. And I don't know how it's going to turn out. But I want to go because I see people's lives that are changed. And I know that I have some of the gifts that are involved with traveling overseas. I know that some people don't want to go and they don't want to do that. And that's okay. And I know that I do. And I have that. And that that's okay as well. And so I, when I finished high school, I said, I think I really want to do this missions thing. And my parents said, yes, and go to college. Missions and get a degree. And I said, okay. So we looked, and I took a year off before I went to college, and I spent six months with Wycliffe. And I was in Papua New Guinea, and I was working in the music department of one of their international schools because I thought, I think I want to be a music teacher. And when I came back, it was for sure, yes. This is something I want to do. I want to be a music teacher. I want to be a missionary. I could be a missionary music teacher. What a great idea. And so I went and I got a degree. And and every summer and every spring break, God, can I go on a missions trip? God, can I do this? And he would say, wait. And he would say, wait. And then a couple years ago, James came and we did the Advent Conspiracy here at Artisan. And And right afterwards, I remember talking to a couple of people and I was... Saying, you know, this is so cool, and I want to go, and and I will go tomorrow. And and I went up to James, and I said, "Tell me more about Uganda, because I don't know anything about it." And he said, "Go watch these movies, go find this stuff." And I watched movies about Uganda, and I spent all of my Christmas break doing that. And I was so excited and so on fire about it, and and nothing happened. And so okay, so I keep praying about it, and God, this is my heart, and I know wh- that I'm exactly where you want me to be, and. He wants me to be here at Artisan. I know that without a shadow of a doubt that this is a community of people that I'm supposed to be a part of because it's a place that I connect. It's a place where I'm challenged in my faith. It's a place where I grow and I am loved and I can share that love with other people and I can serve here in Rochester and do great things here in Rochester. And now the opportunity has come that I can do great things with Artisan in Uganda. And I'm so excited about that. And I, I honestly, I have to contain myself a little bit. Some of you may have seen me jumping around before the service. Um, and so I think, okay, be mature now. Be an adult. You're, you're with grownups. Um, so I, uh, he gets to spend time with me, and he gets to <laughs> spend time with me. <laughs> So it's very exciting um, to see this. I have um, been, I put together a little website. I'm not techie at all, but Google Sites helped me put together a website so I feel techie. And I, and I put together some information about this trip that I'm doing. And I sent the information to a lot of people. Some of you got that. Um, and some of you heard about the website and some of you have heard me speak. Um, and I sent it to people that were part of my life back in high school when I was doing these and they actively saw me participate in these trips and I've been receiving feedback from people like that who 10 years ago said I want to be part of what you're doing Liz because I see God's working in your life and now those people are participating again and they're involved and they are making a difference in Uganda and they are partnering with you here at Artisan and that is awesome to me to see these relationships that started so long ago when I was only friends with them because we were in marching band together. I was in marching band. Can you guess? And because of that, we became friends. And now they're participating. And now they're making a difference in people's lives in Uganda because we're building a relationship. And I'm so excited to meet these pastors and pet the goats (laughs) and try some crazy food and hopefully not get food poisoning (laughs) <laughs> and so this is really exciting that this is something that Artisan's doing. There are other people here at Artisan who have that call on their life, and they're going overseas, and they're doing the same thing, and they've come up, if they've, and they've spoken, and there are people who are interested in going, and they're doing other things, and Artisan has, is doing this, and we're building a legacy of making a change locally and making a change internationally, and I'm just one piece of that puzzle, and I'm so excited to do that
1: great <laughs> That's awesome. I'm really excited. You know, it's it's just, you know, whenever God entrusts us with somebody to go with us and get on that plane, um, you know, I recognize it, it has very little to do with just me. <laughs> it has to do it's it's more like we have something to do with them that for some this brief in, period of intense activity we have the privilege of participating in God's plan for their life. And so the way that I look at that is we have an opportunity to steward our involvement with people like Liz, with the students from Finney that are going, with, you know, there's a couple of different married couples that are going. My wife is coming with me again. You know, there's 16 of us on that team. And I, I recognize that we have the privilege of being one of the tools that's going to shape each one of those individuals. Because the truth is, in a two-week period, you know, how much are we going to accomplish with our presence? I'm not naive. I, I recognize that. I don't walk in there, you know, I don't ride in on a white horse and, you know, when we leave, all right, thank you, peasants, all of your problems are solved. Oh, wait, shall I absolve you of your sins as well? You know, we recognize that's, that's not the way we do things, but we recognize that we are there to, to respond to the call of the Lord to go and the call to us all to extend compassion and to serve the poor. And uh, to serve Christ in that form, and uh, and so we recognize that hey, it is it's a powerful tool in the lives of those that go because it, it leaves an indelible mark on us. That you know it, it affects everything going forward. You know it's the kind of thing that's like blowing up the balloon. You blow up the balloon and then you let the air out and it's all like floppy looking, right? Because it's been stretched to to a shape that it hasn't been to before. And uh, and so you know I'm just excited to know that. You know, for whatever reason, God in His sovereignty has decided that uh, we get to participate in God's plan uh, in Liz's life and these other people. And that's exciting to me because that means that anything she does going forward, <laughs> we're in on it. You know, it's an investment in the kingdom, right? And so we, we're excited that, you know, anytime I hear about, you know, from this point on, and any, anyone that has been with us to the nations, if I hear something good going on in their life, I'm like, thank you, I'm in on that. <laughs> Not, it's not about me. I'm just grateful to be that we got to be part of that. you know. So hey, listen, I want to share. This is the ceremony part, right? And so who, does anybody like puzzles, like doing puzzles and willing to admit that in, in public? I mean, come on. Liz just admitted she was a marching band kid. Yeah, okay. So there's a couple of you puzzle people, right? Well, I can't stand puzzles. Um, you know, I just don't have the patience for it a lot of times. But Sometimes when I'm working on them with my kids, you know, I'll look at some of these puzzles and I'll go, man, I wonder, you know, obviously there's probably somebody that makes these puzzles that knows that the pieces only go together one way. But I've often wondered, you know, because you find sometimes, you know, pieces that, you know, that kind of fits and only later you realize, oh, no, that didn't fit at all. But sometimes I, I have this question as I'm working on these, what if you could take the puzzle and what seemed like the way to put it together was one way to put it together, but you could actually take all the pieces apart and you could put them together in a different way and it would make a completely different picture. This is just the way my, my brain works. I'm like, wow, wouldn't that be cool? That would also be really insanely hard to do, right? Um, and a lot of times, you know, I, I think that that's often how God is, is teaching us and guiding us and shaping us because, you know, there's, there's these there's parallel ways of thinking, that are definitely not in harmony with one another, but a lot of times they run on the same track. And there is, there is uh, authentic life, as God intended for us, and then there's the imitation, which often runs parallel. Do we have any good liars in the house? I'm a particularly good liar. Um, not always a good thing. Usually, no, always a bad thing, actually. But if, you, if you've ever spent time lying, you know that the best lies have a good portion of truth in them, right? Right? And when you're comparing the authentic life that Christ intended for us with the imitation, oftentimes there's a lot of similar components, you know, that the best lies are nine-tenths of the truth, right? And it's just that last little hook that ends up, you know, just taking it off in a different direction. You don't notice how far you are from the real thing until you're further down the road. And that's what I think often, especially when we're talking about uh, compassion, social justice, serving the poor, you know, there's a lot of do involved in these things, right? It's a lot about just the practical, tangible action and activity that it takes to stop suffering like this. And, you know, one of the challenges on anything that's (laughs) do-heavy that really focuses a lot on external action and function is that, you know, it really can get us stuck in this imitation Life that's very religious and very, you know, it, it it consumes a lot of energy, but it doesn't necessarily return a lot of life. And, uh, you know, a good example of that, you know, the the puzzle pieces that for me come together for this morning are a few different things that, uh, in Scripture, here's one of the pieces I want to work with today. The story about Mary and Martha, that's in Luke 10, 38 through 42. You know, that's one that most of us know. For those that don't, you know, you got two sisters, invite Jesus over to hang out. Mary sits and hangs out with him. Martha's running around like a chicken with her head cut off, getting all upset about it. And Jesus says, hey, you know, you know when she says, Jesus, tell Mary to come help me. You know, Jesus says, no, she's, she's made a good choice. So that's one piece. Uh, you know, another piece, and we'll, we'll put all these together, don't worry, is, uh, you know, Jeremiah twenty nine 11 says, I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you a hope in a future. That sounds like a good piece, right? So God has stuff in store for us. He's got his wheels are turning, specific to us, okay? Luke 19, 10 says, See, you know, the Son of Man came to seek and save that which was lost. And then Matthew 25 is a story about uh, Jesus separating the, the sheep and the goats and the delineating factors that he looks at for how to decide if you're sheep or goats was what did you do for the least of these? So this is this, these are the balls that we're juggling with today. These are the puzzle pieces we're trying to arrange. And as I as I look at where we started there with Mary and Martha, you know a lot of times the imitation thought pattern that we have is this. Well, you know, it's it's always good to be Mary, but yeah, but sometimes you have to be Martha or else you wouldn't get anything done. Now I'm a I'm a very you know. High D personality, type A personality, I'm very goal oriented and driven and stuff. And so, a lot of times, my mentality is I love people, I love them a lot more when they're doing something. Right? <laughs> you know? And so, you know, that's often even the way I think. I fall into that thinking of, you know, well, hey, yeah, it's, it's, there's, there's a time, you know, there's a time and a season for all things. There's a time to sit at Jesus' feet and listen, and there's a time to get up and get some crap done, right? But here's the thing. <laughs> If that's our mentality, that means that what we're saying is sometimes it's good to live by grace, <laughs> and sometimes it's good to live by works. Because, you know, I think that we get stuck on the activity. Mary was sitting and doing nothing. Martha was doing, doing, doing. And it wasn't necessarily what they were doing that was the delineating factor. We don't, you know, because the truth is. There's a lot of stuff that does need to get done to steward what's given to us and make things happen. You know, if you sit and just, we're just going to hang out with Jesus, man. Um, I'm telling you, there's people that will die. There's people that will die that we're called to save. I mean, that's just as simple as it gets. People that I know, that I have met, will die if I just sit and do nothing and hang out. Just want to experience the presence, you know. So what we need to focus on is what was the base out of which they were doing what they were doing, and what I see is, is a real difference in security. Mary was secure that she was had, you know, she had the favor of God. She had Jesus, His favor, and she was doing what she was doing out of that. You know, hey, she was at peace to just sit and enjoy that presence. And Martha, you know, what you see there is she's working towards, she's working for that favor. She's trying to be the hostess with the mostest, right? And, and that's, that's what we need to focus on is recognize that the difference in authenticity and imitation in that story is, is not what they were doing because, you know, there are times when you need to get up and make some food or you, just, you don't have anything to eat, you know? If you've got kids, you know that. You got, you, i got three kids, you know, and they, they would not last long if, we, if Christy and I did not work hard to keep things going in the house, Right? this time of year, they turn into little blonde popsicles. You know, you, you need you need to keep the house heated. You need to pay the bills. You need to keep food on the table. And, uh, you know, so there's definitely activity to do. But are we doing it secure in who we are in Christ? Are we functioning out of the grace that saved us and trusting that it's the same grace that will keep us today? Or are we trying to earn it? You know, and it's really easy to slip into that. And so, for you especially, as a community who has set as a high-value social justice, which is a lot about solving problems, that's what it comes down to, it's really critical that we lay hold of how do we go about that, what is the starting point, or else you will, in the, in the process of trying to solve problems, you will find yourself in a, in a state that I kind of call leanness of the soul, where we're doing things that are good things but we're not doing them for the right reason or in the right way and instead of it you know watchman knee said you know to do the work of the lord is food for me you know so we you know we should feel full serving the lord in grace out of his strength but if we don't we fall into this place of you know the fruit of his spirit we know the fruits of the spirit you know that whole list my kids have a little song they sing love joy peace patience kindness goodness gentleness self-control. Those are the fruits of his spirit, the fruit of his strength. But the fruit of mine is the opposite. And so if I'm trying to do all these good things, but I'm not doing it out of his strength, I won't get the fruit of his spirit. I'm doing it out of my strength, I get the fruit of my spirit. Angst, worry, exhaustion, frustration, anger, you know, just all these things that don't make me feel full, they make me feel empty. And so that's a critical piece that I just want to challenge us with, whether we're resting or working, we need to do it recognizing this, that we're loved. The grace that saved us, the point of salvation is not just a beginning point, it's a a dwelling place, it's a place where we have to live, aware of God's grace and his love for us. That God didn't just love us once, he likes us today. (laughs) You know, oftentimes I have a harder time remembering that. You know, I believe that he died on the cross, but I don't think he'd sit with me at lunch. You know what I'm saying? Come on, that's common experience, you know? Yeah, he he sacrificed his life on the cross, but he wouldn't pick me for his team in gym class. Right? You you know? (laughs) You said that's most of this church? No, No? okay, no, I misunderstood. (laughs) Anyways, um... And, and so, you know, but we need to have confidence that we, we have a, a father that loves us and we have his favor. And when that happens, it reinterprets our experience. It's not this imitation trying to do these good things, you know. And, and so, with that in mind, you know, looking at this, you know, that the Son of Man came to seek and save that which was lost. You know, that what's great about that is that's not just he came to seek and save lost souls, a lot of times we end up categorizing that as, oh, yeah, that's about salvation. There's people that are going to die and go to hell. He came so that they would not die and go to hell. That's what that means. But there's a lot more to that. Well, that. That which was lost, what was lost? There's a lot more that was lost than just the eternal salvation issue. Intimacy was lost, right? Dignity was lost. There's Identity was lost. And so there's there's a, a way in which I have to live in that and recognize that, You know, if if I'm not careful, I get distracted from who God says I am. And I end up up thinking of myself as a servant or a slave and not as a son. You know, I lose sight of my identity in Christ. But he came to seek and save that. He's a pursuing God. He's seeking me. He's, He's actively after me. He's actively after you to remind you of what your identity is, the place of intimacy, the place of favor, So that out of that, you can do things to be a conduit of him seeking and saving that which was lost through you. You know, what we do a lot has a lot to do with God (laughs) restoring dignity to a people. You see some desperate things when you reach the fringe of of humanity. I, you know, I go to the the fringe of, of civilization when we go out to Africa. But, you know, fringe is all around us. And when you go to that place with people, when you get into an intimate relationship and a, you know, life, you know, just, hey, this is it. We're in each other's stuff. You touch these things, these edges of people's lives where you see suffering. You know, it it doesn't necessarily have to be the 1.1 billion people in the world that don't have clean water. It can be the 51 or 52% it is now of marriages that end in divorce. Nobody wants to get divorced. Everybody wants to be married and happy. If you get married, you want to stay married and happy and healthy. That's just just the truth. And yet it doesn't happen more than half the time. There's suffering all around us. And God is looking to seek and save the lost through us. And as we make ourselves available to that, we ourselves remain found. You know, so, you know, just challenge yourself as you're you're looking around with those eyes to, to see the suffering around us. Because sometimes it's across the ocean, but sometimes it's across the street or in the cube next to you, or in the bedroom next to you. Sometimes it's our kids that we go, you know, I've got kids. I've got a, you know, my oldest daughter is uh, getting ready to turn 12 in February. You know, and she's at a stage where she's coming out of childhood, starting to engage in more mature thinking, trying to wrestle with who she is and discover her identity. And my God, I do not want her to be lost. And I do not want her to get distracted and begin defining herself by what the world says are the rules. And by what the world says she's capable of. And so how do I, as a father, communicate the father's love to her that helps her stay secure and know that she's loved and she doesn't have to earn, you know, the the things that she needs the most. That, That they're freely given to her. That security, that sense of identity. That sense of just intimate belonging and freedom. That doesn't have to be earned. She just needs to live in that and enjoy it. And then confidently be who she's been made to be. You know, as we think think more about, you know, social justice and suffering in the world on a grander scheme, um, you know, as, as we consider this last puzzle piece of, you know, Matthew, where the challenge comes as he looks over the nations of the world. This was a corporate evaluation. This was not individuals. This was saying the nations of the world. Collective community, what was your choice? What did you do with the poor? What did you do for the least of these? There's suffering in the world in a very practical sense. And, and there's, there's, you know, we've, we've seen how it says God has plans for us, plans for our good, right, in Jeremiah. And so that means that when there's people living in a state that is opposite of that, that's a state of injustice. Not living the life that God intended. Obstacles in the way. And so the challenge is when you see, oh, look, I'm out of time. Um, when you see these situations around us, the challenge to us is this. What can be done to stop that suffering? Sometimes it's a relational issue. Sometimes it's logistics. Sometimes it's, you know, there's all kinds of, of, of shortfalls that are causing suffering. And the source, uh, you know, if those are, if, if the suffering in this world is interfering with our spiritual identity and the way God is intending us to function, then those obstacles are spiritual obstacles. And there's really only, you know, that's a, that's a spiritual problem, which means it has a spiritual answer. And I don't mean a, a fluffy, like, intangible, ethereal thing. I mean, the source of how to solve it is going to come through a spiritual vehicle, most efficiently, most effectively. And who is better to, to be on track with that and receive that and employ that and, and really engage in those solutions than God's kids, if there's suffering in this world, who is better positioned to bring the solutions than those who are tied into the one who provides the solution? And so that's what I want to encourage you with. Because what you made as a choice, some of you, this was an educational process. This is what you guys did in these two communities in Uganda. Well, you have an opportunity to continue with Liz. But what you need to expect is, if there's suffering, there's an answer, and it can come through us. So have the faith to recognize you're in a place of favor for a purpose in your own life and for a purpose in the lives around you and expect to say things like, hey, God, I don't know how to solve this. Can you help me out here? I need a new idea. I don't know the person that I'm supposed to know that will help show me the answer in this area. Can you introduce me to the right person? Have faith for those kinds of things. They're practical and it's very tangible and it's it's very doable. And if we begin to step out and function like that, you see that you can be that conduit you can be the, 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 the source through which God can move into, into the suffering around you. And so I just want to encourage and challenge you to begin to think differently, begin to ask, a different, enter in a different conversation with the God who loves us, the God who saved us, and the God who's keeping us, to trust that you can ask for simple, practical help for yourself, for the people that you love desperately, for the people that you are leading, that you don't always know what to do with, for the people that you're working with, the people that you're living with, the people that you're being sent to, I don't know what I'm doing. That's just the truth. Compared to the task given me, I don't know what I'm doing. And so it keeps me in a place of humility to say, God, here we go. I need to meet some new people. I need people to provide the funding. I need people to educate me. You know, it's, it's all these resources that we don't have. But it happens if you position yourself and trust yourself and live that authenticity. Don't settle for the imitation. It doesn't have to be as complicated as we make it. So be encouraged and take this challenge with you that this week you have the opportunity to begin this, this kind of conversation with the Lord. And know that you're... Yeah, I keep pointing to the screen like the pictures are still there. Um, and know that you're actively in this, in this experience with people in Uganda you know, and, and thank you for being part of what we do. You know, I always, you know, before I hand this back to Scott, I always challenge people, you know, you have your own lives. But if our path is supposed to cross, consider three different ways that you can get involved with the Ugandan Water Project. Number one, you know, you can look to fund one of our projects. Perhaps you individually, perhaps people in your place of business, perhaps you're part of other civic and professional organizations, people in your neighborhoods. You don't know who you're connected to until you start thinking about it. You can fund one of these projects. We've got projects that start small and that go way, way big. But all kinds of stuff. Water, agriculture, education, all kinds of stuff. Think about that. Number two, you can support us on a regular basis. What we do, we have a lot of potential. The gas that is in our tank is is based on funding that comes from people like you who say, yeah, I want to be part of it. So consider being a monthly partner. And number three, perhaps you're supposed to go with us. Perhaps like Liz, you're going to recognize... There's more seats on the airplane. And maybe you're supposed to take a journey with us. You know, just like Jesus did. He went a great distance and paid a great price to make sure people know that they're loved. So consider those three ways. Talk to us out at the table. We'd love to talk to you more. Love you guys. And uh, thanks for having us. Scott?
0: Thank you, James. So exciting to hear how things are going. Um, and we are going to run a little bit long today, so let's just get over that now so we don't have to worry about it in 15 minutes when That's we're looking my at the fault. clock going, Arr. sorry about that. No, James, it's okay. You know, He's always been a little long-winded. <laughs> <laughs> he would keep me up late night talking. There's this girl I like, Scott. What should I do? No. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I'm sorry, It's not. it does not befitting the, ser- the seriousness of what we're talking about here. Um, another way that you can be involved with this is to support Liz and her trip. Liz is trying to make that last probably one-third of the money she needs to go to Uganda in February with the Charles Finney School. And I'm really, really excited to let you know that our Artisan's leadership team has approved a matching gift For anybody from within Artisan's community who gives money to Liz and her trip, uh, Artisan will match that money up to and including $500. So Liz is about $1,000 away right now, she told me this morning, is that right? And so if the people in this room and those who are not in this room, and I know some of you are listening to this on a podcast, um, you know, email me or email Liz, we can get you connected... Um, but if the people in Artisan's community will give $500, the church itself will give that additional $500, and I think that would get Liz almost all the way there. So please talk to Liz. Raise your hand, Liz, in case people didn't catch you the first time afterward. And do stop stop at uh, the table, and James is selling some jewelry made by Ugandan children that uh, is really beautiful and um, will support their efforts and that sort of thing too. So. Uh, I'm really excited that we can continue to partner with uh, Ugandan Water Project. It's very exciting for me to see the photographs of the, the communities that you changed with your generosity a couple of years ago. And uh, so as we continue in worship, um, uh, I would like you to, to invite you to take communion together. And one of the neat things about this is when you take communion with a, a group of people, you're connecting yourself to them. Um, and James is... Is our connection uh, to Uganda, and James has broken bread with Ugandan Christians, and so when we break bread with him, we're breaking bread with them, uh, and symbolically with with Christians all around the world. We often talk about community or communion as a a, a, a ritual that uh, develops unity of the faith in this room and then all the way around the world. And today we have a tangible example of that. So I invite you to come and participate in this. Uh, Ritual with us if you are uh, seeking to follow Jesus in this place. uh, This table is open for you. Um, We'll continue to worship in song, and I'd like to uh, ask parents now to go relieve um, Ariana and Gwen, who've been teaching a little longer than they're used to. So please do go get your kids and then bring them back in, and and we'll continue to worship together. All right? So the table's open. Uh, Come as you're called.